0: Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Nancy. Nancy Deitch is a successful businesswoman who has built her career based on fighting hard uh, for what she believes in and giving back? After losing two siblings to a sudden cardiac death when they were in their 20s, oh my goodness, um, that's so young. Yeah, younger than I am. <laughs> uh, Nancy, everybody's
1: younger than everybody's younger than me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Nancy, we have had people of all ages on the podcast, so um, I'm sure that there's a guest that's at least the same age, if not older. Um, So Nancy saw just how short and fragile life could be and wanted to do something about it. She and her mother founded the Cardiac Arrhythmia Research and Education Foundation, CARE, just to raise awareness for this cardiac condition as well as support thousands of patients and their families. In addition to being a mentor to people who want to make a difference in the world, Nancy has been a successful entrepreneur in the consumer products industry for more than 30 years and has executed state-of-the-art campaigns generating over 3 billion in revenue for some of the most well-loved consumer brands. She's now the founder and CEO of Sarah Labs where in addition to building well or in addition to building a successful company uh, Nancy is advocating for more women leaders in the workplace. She wants to help other women realize their unique strengths and gain the confidence to take a seat at the C- C-suite table, creating more diverse, inclusive workplace. Well, we need more diverse, inclusive workplaces because we don't have enough. Yeah, that is correct. Nancy, welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Well, I am excited to hear all about your journey on how you made it to where you are today. Um, there's so much. Let's let's start off with talking about the last of your siblings and your mom and you creating this foundation um, because. I believe when it, you, when you're doing something right, you're creating a foundation of business, whatever, it's usually because you have a very intimate story about it. Um, so like, you don't have to get into like the nitty gritty details, but share with us about what, what you went through that, that inspired that, like, you know, what made you both come to this decision? Like, you know what, we're gonna go beyond our grief and we're gonna do this to help other people.
1: Um, that's a really good question that nobody ever asks. Um, when my, when my brother died, he was 20 years old and he missed his 21st birthday by 10 days. And he was captain elect of the lacrosse team at the university of Connecticut. It was 1979. And, um, he was, um, the lacrosse team was all recruited by one of the big oil companies in Wyoming. And, uh, he didn't feel good one day when he was there and he was an amazing athlete. And uh, he fell off a um, he fell down and he said, you know, this just isn't for me. He says, I don't think I should be working in an oil field. And he says, and I was smelling all kinds of, of hydrogen sulfide and he says, and it just doesn't feel right. So one of the guys, he said, we're gonna take off and go camping in the Grand Tetons. And I was with my mother. I was back in Philadelphia where I grew up at. And I was with her at at home. I just happened to be home traveling that week. And I will never forget, we hung up the phone. And and I find that women are are very good at being so intuitive about things. Mm -hmm. And I said, we're never gonna see him again, are we? And my mother looked at me and she said, he won't be the same. I'm afraid he's going to lose a leg or an arm. And I said, no, it's going to be more than that. And she says, yeah, she goes, I have that feeling, too, that we're never going to see him the same way. And um, exactly one week later, I was back in California and I got a call that my brother had passed peacefully in his sleep. And he was camping in the grand tetons at jenny lake which is beautiful and um he went to sleep and at two o'clock in the morning had a death cough and his friend that was with him didn't know he had died of course And um, so this was really early on and nobody knew what heart arrhythmias. They didn't even study heart arrhythmias in those days. It was all about the plumbing of the heart. So um, we we have family that's very involved in the medical community and um, in Philadelphia and Washington DC. And I had a cousin who was at OSHA and they closed off the whole area and they could not find anything wrong with him. And it was really odd because twenty-year-old boys who are athletes just don't drop dead like that. Right. So we did a lot of research. We thought that he was poisoned at the oil refinery, and um, and we just never found out what really caused his death. Um, and at two years, two years later, we and we tried to sue the oil company. Um, two years later, my sister was walking across her dormitory floor at University of Tampa. She was a big water skier, and she collapsed at 19 and had cardiac arrest. She was the only one on her dorm that knew CPR. So she spent six weeks in a coma. Um, She was resuscitated. And unfortunately, it took six years for her once she woke up to, um, and we couldn't turn off her machines. We just couldn't do it because my brother had just died two years earlier. Right. um, it took six years till we brought her back to Philadelphia to learn how to walk and talk and relearn her memory again. Um, she was a beautiful girl, just beautiful. And at, um, at 29, she got pregnant and or 28, she got pregnant. She got married to a nice young man. She was brain damaged to a certain extent. She had limitations um, and she gave birth to a beautiful baby boy, my nephew, Jacob, and we moved them out to California and they were, they were hanging with us all the time. And, uh, when he was five months old, she went to sleep one night and never woke up again. Oh, wow. And so we started on a journey to try to find out what happened. And it turned out that we have a lethal, um, genetic heart condition in our family called long QT syndrome, and it's the uh, interval between the PQRST waves of the heart, and it causes a prolongation. Um, the um, There's a lot more to the story, which is really interesting, but I won't get into it with you. Um, but uh, what we found was that, um, that this genetic condition and at the time in 1991 when she passed away they were doing genetic studies at LDS hospital in Utah and they were doing all the you know all these great studies and we got very involved with all the doctors at the American Heart Association and at the um enal arrhythmias were a big deal and we found out that it was my mother's maternal family um most of whom were killed in the second world war and first world war by Hitler so you know, they all died young, right? So nobody would have known. So unfortunately, my brother and sister um, passed away young. Um, I have 26 family members on my my mother, my maternal side of my family, my mother's mother's family that all have the disorder. Um, Those, uh, most of us are on beta blockers and we're fine. Um, This only really affects younger people when you get older. um, It's not really a a problem. Um, But I'm on beta blockers the rest of my life as a preventative, um, as you know, for prevention. Um, so we, my mother and I didn't want this to happen to anybody else. And because we knew this particular genetic condition could be prevented, um, my mother is the strongest person I've ever met. Anybody who's lost two children and can move forward gets the major right. kudos For me. It's unbelievable. I don't think, I know, I, I'm not sure I could have done it. And um, we started this foundation. My husband and I funded it. And uh, my mother was the executive director. And we went on a journey um, to, um, to really um, educate the um, medical community on arrhythmias in children and young adults. Uh, we funded studies, we funded all the education. My mother uh, worked with Sacramento to get the Anti-Discrimination Genetic Act passed in the state of California. So any child born with a genetic condition would never be denied health insurance. Um, we really we went and really funded a lot of the genetic studies. And at that time is when the Human Genome Project was starting, and, yeah. um, which was really interesting, in fact, my family we are the uh, we are in all the uc systems um university of california university systems we are in the genetics program we're one of the we're one of the um areas that they study my son went to wow. berkeley and well he was sitting in his in a genetic class um to avoid all other science classes yeah. and because uh, <laughs> it was an easy subject and he's sitting in a 750 person auditorium and he looks up at the screen, they're playing a movie this day and he starts, and he's not a kid who outbursts, he's very calm, typical boy, he's very cool, or so he thinks, and, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and he looks up and he goes, oh my God, that's my family up there on the screen and learned that my mother had given permission, my mother had subsequently passed away, but given permission to the UC system to use it as part of their curriculum. So, um, you know, so we were one of the first genes that they studied for um, the Human Genome Project. So I think, you know, for me making a difference in the world and turning lemons into lemonade was always something that was really critical to me. And so when anything bad happens in my life, whether it be in business or personal life, um, I always take a look and say, what can I do different to make this a positive outcome? There was nothing I could do. I had no control over my brother and my sister death. Um, I had control over my life. Um, at least so I think, right. Um, you never know. Um, but I had, you know, we have little control over so many things in life and I am a control freak, sorry, but I am, uh, and, uh, and I am, um, but I, I just, and, and I think it's because I had no control, you know, over right. the most horrific thing that ever happened in my life. And, and um, and so I think that, um, you know, that for me, it was really important knowing that um, I couldn't have a facelift or get any surgery, elective surgery um, for somebody who's living in Los Angeles. You know, <laughs> um, that What can I do to stay healthy? And, and I knew that arrhythmias had nothing to do with my health, but. You know, I've always taken really good care of myself and and always wanted to, like, what can I do to stay looking young, be healthy and happy and uh, lead a really, you know, healthy in, you know, and well um, life. So um, it was, this was always really critical. And I, I think it came from the fact that, you know, my lack of control, so I could control that part of, of my life. And um, and that's where I believe that I got all my values for business because nobody taught me how to do So whenever I have failed, I look and I say, what can I do different to make sure this never happens again? What lesson did I learn from this?
0: Yeah. Well, that's very powerful. And then you went from this foundation and advocating for people with heart arrhythmia to now you are advocating for a more inclusive, diverse workplace like how did that jump happen? Like what inspired you to not just, you, you just told us how you uh, got inspired to advocate once, but now right. you're doing advoca- adv- advocacy again. Um, what, ins- what, what allowed for that jump? What allowed for that to happen? Well, thanks. I mean, I've
1: always felt that, you know, women were um, looked at differently, at least early in my career. So I'll tell you one quick, funny story. So I was, I graduated college and I was starting to go out in job interviews. And and I won't tell you when I graduated college or you'll know how old I am, but, uh, it was before, you know, women were, um, you know, before women were like taught how to interview for jobs. And, you know, we weren't exactly first on the list with everybody. And and I went and I interviewed at a pharmaceutical company, which it's just, life is so ironic, you know, because yeah. we're owned by a pharmaceutical company now. And uh, so I went to a, one of the big pharmaceutical companies to talk to the people about sales, because I always thought I'd be a great salesperson. And I um, and I had no skill sets. I was an English major, you know, I mean, come on. right? <laughs> <laughs> so I could write. So um, there was no internet, you know, no content marketing in those days. Right. And uh, and I went, and my uh, my mother took me shopping at Loman's, and she got me this gray and white pinstripe suit, and you know, and I was you know twenty one is before all these tragedies happened, and uh, and I um, and I go to my interview, and I was so proud of myself, and and I sat down, and the guy with the bald head, and the, and the and the and the and the undershirt in those days, and his buttons are popping out, and he's sweating, and he says, "So tell me, Nancy, where do you think you want to be in?" 10 years from now I said 10 years you mean in five years he says what do you mean I said I want to be the president of this company (laughs) 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 I had no idea right I was like so naive and he looks at me and he says well I think that you're better off getting an MRS degree and I went oh that's a great idea I had no idea what he was talking (laughs) about I I wasn't paying attention oh I
0: just got it I just got it
1: exactly and and I walked out and I went that asshole right yeah an MRS degree it took me until I got out to the car in the driveway in their parking lot to figure it out and you know you couldn't you couldn't do anything in those days you know it's like big deal right nobody would care that you got offended and so I always remember that story that I did not want to get a missus degree and uh, I was going to make it on my own and and I think I just I think you either have fire in your belly or you don't right? right so but climbing the ladder as a female um in those years it was it was not easy at all so i recognized early on that i was never going to do well in a corporate environment and i was an entrepreneur at heart even though nobody used the word entrepreneur right. and there were very few entrepreneurial women in those days so i i think that you know for me i always felt that if i could work with great women and help them get to where they need to in life, that men had an advantage over women. And what could I do as, like I said, as I moved up the ladder and was successful to hire women and mentor them um, so they could see their full potential. And I just felt like there wasn't enough opportunity that, that they would have to feel like they'd have to go get an MRS degree to make something of themselves. (laughs) So, so I think that, you know, my whole career has been about, you know, surrounding myself with great women and, um, and learning from them as much as I, as they learn from me. So I think that, you know, it's funny. I always laugh about this and I always tell everybody, it's amazing how much respect I've gained You know, from all these outside people, when, you know, I've had so much experience, experience garners respect. And but, you know, but in my younger years, when I was when I was being tough and maybe not as nice as I should have been to people, um, I was a tough I was just a bitch right? That's what they they called me behind my back. But you
0: had to be back then.
1: Oh my God. If you were a man and you behaved the way I did, you'd be a good, strong businessman, right? So I feel that um, what I learned from that is that you can teach people, women, how to be even keeled Right? We're the greatest multitaskers in the world. Without us, where would our husbands be? Where would our significant others be, right? Because we can be moms, we can be, you know, wives, we can be partners, we can have girlfriends, we can have, you know, and we can be, we can cook dinner, go food shopping and do multitask, you know, be really multi-talented and multitask that I think a lot of, you know, men, um can't do Um, they they just are very focused you know they put their blinders on they go down we can have 10 conversations at the same time right Right. And, and actually follow every conversation right so um so I think that it's a um it's a really interesting paradigm and what I learned along the way was um that it was I felt like it was a responsibility I had to help and mentor women along the way
0: yeah. I, I think they call it like the man box or something like that. And the guy's heads where they just have this like little box where they just focus on each box, but not like the where women have this big open space and everything is just go, going around and going around. But yeah, we are amazing multitaskers and, you know, talking to powerful women and women who have you know climbed the ladder? Often they tell me is you know I had to be a bitch. I had to you know what what men consider a bitch, and really like you said, if it was a man, they'd just be a strong leader. Right, to be a bitch to be able to be like no, I belong in this industry too. Like I that's I belong in this place. It is not just a man's world. And you know like you said, like you were coming up the ladder a lot sooner than it was acceptable for women to be, you know. It,
1: it, it's true. I'll tell you another cute story. So um, I was running a publicly traded company that I founded. I could only have done that because I founded the company, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, and I was with my um, my general counsel and we were going to New York and, and, um, and he was great and we're still very close friends. And he said to me, you know, he was laughing and he says, look at all these emails I'm getting. You know, this was back in like the early two thousands. And, and he says, look, look, look at these emails I'm getting. They all want to know what you look like. I said, that's fine, Chris, because you're prettier than me and nobody cares about what you look like.
0: (laughs) 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 It's always that like women in power. It's like, you know, they're, they're talking about their looks. They're talking about how they're dressed. They're talking about like their makeup
1: like what? right exactly
0: who's talking about men's suits and how they look and how their it, hair looks and everything it's
1: else so funny you know it really is well most men I, I shouldn't say most men but at least the men in my life my husband my kids they could care less what they're wearing right, right. <laughs> My my son's getting married my youngest is getting married in september and my husband says well i have a suit that's 30 years old why can't i wear that <laughs> Right, so <laughs> it's true. Where I just went
0: and got new business clothes because I'm going to be my uh, the company I work for is based in Virginia, and I'm going to be going down there. And I'm like, oh well, we're going to be doing a photo shoot, and the clothes I've I I have they don't fit quite right, so I got to get new ones. And my husband's oh, like, what? Of course.
1: It, exactly. <laughs> well, I'll tell you another thing that's not fair. A man goes on a diet, he loses all his weight right away. A woman goes on a diet because of COVID, let's just say. It took me four months to take off the weight that I put on during COVID. The other people, it takes them like a month or two months. Like, what is wrong with this picture, right?
0: Oh, man, yeah. When I was a fitness coach, my husband uh, started working out with me. And he was dropping pounds left and right, left and right. And I'm like, how is I work so hard. And you're just over there,
1: like, just, you know, it's falling right off of you. I'll tell you some of the things I think that are really positive that have changed. Um, You, um, it used to be that it was important how a woman looked um, as opposed to what her brain, how important her brain was and strategy and, 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 and executing um, what they're doing as opposed to today. It's really about what contribution you can make, and I think that's really important. Um, that things have really changed for women. Um, I'm so happy to see that uh, opportunities are arising for women. If, if I have my choice, um, like I have a few women here that at my company that oh, these girls are like the best workers. They are mm-hmm. so good they put their blinders on they get their job done they do a great job you can never ask too much of them they always are volunteering you know well, how can we help what can we do because i find you get back what you give yeah. and 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 if you want loyal you know people and you know you really have to mentor them and help teach them whether it's you doing it or making sure the right party is the person that is doing it so, I so I do think that that is um, pretty critical, and I don't know. I just I've always felt as if um, mentoring was just part of what I love doing, and it's funny because my son mentors um, underprivileged children, Uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's a big brother and he belongs to a couple of big charities in LA that mentor underprivileged and, you know, and kids and, and he's, you know, always helping the underserved. And, and I find that, um, I think getting him and my other kids involved in the charity work we did, because we had a lot of big celebrities, you know, that were involved in our charity and um, and having him like talk to the kids who actually suffered cardiac arrest, you know, from yeah. our heart disease and going to the you know, cardiac facilities and and helping these kids and helping them financially. Um, I think that really helped my kids become better people, I think. Because when you give back, man, you be, you are such a better person. And if you give back, you know, you don't do it to get anything back, except just the pure satisfaction that you're making a difference in somebody's life.
0: Right. And it's very humbling. It's very humbling, I found, when you're volunteering and you're giving back to understand what other people are going through and what kind of privilege you have right like you don't notice what kind of privilege you have until you can see it through somebody else's eyes and be like oh i'm actually very fortunate and and i was just having this conversation with my husband last night you know about how a lot of people are having a hard time going back to work because not all schools are back in session full-time yeah. and childcare is so expensive Ridiculous. So like, You know, if you have a choice between staying on the additional unemployment or going back to work and making like less money and you still have to pay for childcare, what are you going to choose? Stay home with your kids or pay your paycheck for childcare? And I told him that we're super privileged because I could have stayed home. Like I could have just, I got laid off um, at the beginning of the pandemic and I could have just stayed home. We would have been a little tight on finances, but we would have been okay. And I could have just stayed home with the kids. But then I was fortunate. I got an admin position at a digital marketing company. And so I work from home. And I told him, I said, not all families have that opportunity like we did, that we would have been okay if I had to stay home with the kids and wasn't working. I was like, that's actually a very privileged position. And it's not until you are, are helping out and you're contributing in a way to what other people are going through to understand, oh, I'm a very fortunate individual.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Right. And, and I do agree with you that, um, you have to look at, um, when you're fortunate enough to, um, you know, to have success in life, um, that that's why I always feel it's important that we really need to make sure that we help those who are you know, not as fortunate as us. You know, I, I come from a big family of givers and, um, and, um, and my mom was very, you know, was, she, she was a great advocate for those in need as was my grandfather. And, um, and so it's, it, you know, I think things are just either inbred in you and you believe in them or you don't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think some people might be able to learn along the way cuz my parents were not naturally givers. <laughs> they weren't naturally a lot of things, but I've I've unlearned the things I learned as a child. Sure. Um and I outgrew that individualistic mindset and am more focused on things outside of myself. Um but I didn't I definitely did not learn that growing up.
1: But Can I can I tell you something if you yeah. do not learn and grow and evolve constantly you lose out on the best things in life at least that's what i believe
0: yeah no i agree i don't think we ever stop learning growing and evolving if yeah. you do you're stagnant and the whole world is going to pass you by
1: 100 percent. you know i'm in a very young youthful business and and I and and try and you know I don't really work hard to make myself relevant. I just feel it's just like part of who I want to be in life. And um, and so I feel that you know being a woman in business and and having all the the amenities that go along with it, um, my freedom of being an entrepreneur and you know the freedom of working with people I love and adore is so important. And helping them become better, I'm so happy when people that used to work for me. You know, I run into them or somebody says so-and-so is now the CEO of a company or so-and-so is now president of a company or so-and-so just made like all this money. And and they write to me and tell me that without my mentorship, they could never have gotten there and had the confidence to get there, which I think is really it just makes you feel so good. If that's all I get from it, then I feel a very blessed human being.
0: But you also are a different kind of human being than some of the people we run across in business because you see that as like that's amazing i want to cheer them on where other people in business sometimes see that as a threat and see that as competition um instead of seeing like there's room for all of us at the finish line so that says a lot about you nancy that you oh, thank you ha- must thank you you have like
1: a huge heart and th- thank you. And, you know, I do feel that way. You know, it's funny. It's like I'm very direct and right to the point And I tell people the way it is. And if you don't like it, that's too bad. Um, but if you are, if you are willing to listen to how to improve yourself, then it's a great gift. I feel I like, can give to people. And, and if I can't tell you exactly what I think and how I feel you can grow, then you just aren't, you know, I just don't want to waste my time on you. Right. I, I people... just I can't keep trophies out just for participation, you know. <laughs> I'm the anti-trophy generation. <laughs> you get I mean, it because you deserve it.
0: Well, you you get what you put in, right? Like if somebody's not willing to put in the effort, you can only
1: do so much for them. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You better believe it.
0: So I'd love to know a little bit more about how people could increase make a more diverse, inclusive workplace. As somebody who has worked in like many industries, you've climbed the ladder, you have your own company. I hear a lot, you know, on the interwebs of people saying, well, I mean, that's just who applies or, oh, well, that's just, you know, who we got or that's who was just most qualified. How do you be intentional about creating a diverse and inclusive workplace?
1: Well, I think it depends on how you write your job description. Number one, <laughs> making sure that you um, I don't I would never hire somebody because they were um, I wouldn't hire somebody because they were a woman or a man or, you know, or right. or an age group at all. Um, if I if I had my choice, I always will prefer to to hire you know i'm always going to hire the best possible person but there has to be a cultural fit too so in in a job and in a corporate environment i never interview anybody for their skill sets ever i let other people do that in my company i interview people for the cultural fit to make sure they're going to get along to make sure they're going to be givers to make sure that they are going to get they're going to give as much to the organization as the organization is to them when somebody says to me well I won't come to work for you unless I get paid X amount of dollars. I don't care who they are. They are never coming in my company, right? (laughs) When when their first question is, what are the benefits? They're never coming to work here because they won't fit culturally. But if they come and say, here's what I can do to help. and, And I see it's a person who's got a lot of room to grow. They may not have gotten there. I'll take that person all day long.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of times uh, people are too focused on like the resume. Yes, you must have some sort of qualifications, right?
1: Yeah, obviously.
0: There are people who will like hustle in, I don't even, I hate the word hustle. I don't even
1: know why I'm saying it. I will
0: work really hard.
1: Work their their asses off, okay. (laughs) Work their
0: asses off to reach that level, right? We'll, Mm -hmm. We'll go above and beyond to compensate for their lack of experience to make sure they get the job done, where sometimes you'll get somebody who has tons of experience, but it goes to their head. Well, I'll tell
1: you something, if somebody comes to me with tons of experience, and their resume looks perfect, usually not, they're not the right person for us. And and the reason is because they usually have had 100 people working for them, and they don't know how to do 10 things. So sometimes we need people here to do like my person who's like the head of brand operations here she's, um, she has she does customer service. She does, you know, she does product development. She, she's the liaison between marketing and, and operations. I mean, it's unbelievable. She manages the graphic designers here, you know? So it's like your job responsibilities should be what you can handle, right? What, you know, right. what you can handle. And she comes in at 6.30 every single morning. Now she's gone by five o'clock every day, but nobody makes her do that. She does it on her own. And that's what's important, you know? And those are the people that I do really well with, you know?
0: It sounded like you were describing me because what I do at the company I work for is all these random things. My boss is like, we should change your title, but I don't know what to change it to. Right, exactly. You know, it's all these like random tasks I'm doing.
1: How about CEO Megan, right?
0: Oh, no, she can keep that. I actually had... um, I had two different businesses. I had a, a fitness coaching business and a life coaching business. And I'm not an entrepreneur type. Like when you were earlier and you were like, some people are, and some people are, I'm not. I learned that through having my own companies that I do not like being an entrepreneur. I want a boss. I want somebody to tell me what to do. I do it and, and it's done. Like, that's what I need. I, I am not built to be an entrepreneur. So bless all of you that are.
1: <laughs> like, because fine. i
0: know what kind of work it takes i mean i i i had you know i had two different businesses over a span of like five years and i no mm-mm, no it doesn't work for me i am not an entrepreneur type
1: Yeah, no, every, you know, listen, some people are great at working for other people. And like, I've got some, I've got people here who, you know, they're so happy doing what they're doing, and they Mm -hmm. love getting more responsibility, but they never, you know, they're just never going to start their own company. And that's good, too. You can't have everybody doing the same thing.
0: Yeah, and now I want to be a psychology professor. And that's not really an entrepreneur type thing.
1: (laughs) No, you know. I'm going to, my, my, I'm, daughter, my daughter is a psychologist and, uh, and she, uh, and she works at, 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 at two schools as this, as the school psychologist for all the girls.
0: Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm going into a master's program. Um, oh, that's in the great. fall. Yeah. And uh, hopefully eventually get my PhD, but um, my husband's job potentially might move us. Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully it doesn't. Um, so I was told that going into a PhD program, it's hard to change schools in the middle Um, because it can actually set you behind. So I was, it was recommended to me to get my master's and then go to my, for my PhD. So I'm going for my master's so I can be a psychology professor. And that means I will have a boss
1: because I'll be working for a college. (laughs) That's really funny. That's great. That's good for you, Megan. Good for you.
0: But you know, when you, I talk to people like you, Nancy, um, and entrepreneurs like you, that's what I mean is entrepreneurs like, is you, You all have like a you know a certain drive inside of you.
1: A fire Um, in your belly. A fire in your belly. Fire
0: in your belly, and that's and to be an entrepreneur, you have to because sometimes things aren't going great, and sometimes it's rough, and sometimes you have to make hard decisions, and you know all of those things. And so we need all the people. We need the CEOs, and then we need people like me who's like just tell me what to do and I'll do it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I th- I think this is a, a great spot to wrap up our conversation. I feel like you left us with a lot of it goes by really fast. Um,
1: oh yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like you gave us a one. It was such a inspirational start to your foundation, um, but also a lot of fun uh, fun uh, stories about your time climbing the ladder, but also how you know somebody can help their company be. Work a little bit better, like you know, you don't hear a lot of people talk about company culture, and we have to, we have to hire people who are, who would fit well with the company. You know, um, you're always hearing like they have to have the best uh, resume, and they have to have this, and they have to have that. But like, if your team and aren't are not getting along and working well and working cohesively. It's not going to do well for your business.
1: hundred percent. And everybody feels that everybody knows it and it really makes everybody uncomfortable. So it's important that you have a happy environment.
0: Yeah. My boss uh, gave us like a rundown in our last team training of this is the company culture and this is what I expect from you. And if you don't like that, (laughs) maybe this isn't the company you should be working for. And I was like, yeah, she has a brand. You have a brand, Right. And the people working for you need to be able to personify that um, in their own way. Obviously they can become like little robots that do all the things, but like, you know you want them to personify what the, the company is. You won't want them going rogue and being saying and doing things that are completely against what you're for, you know what I mean? Um, So as we wrap up the podcast, what is something that you would like or a collection of thing, whatever you would like to leave the inspired women audience with?
1: Well, I think that, you know, making sure that number one, that you're always looking at what you can do for others as opposed to what they can do for you. So that's really number one for me. Um, So when I have a customer or um, we have an account that we're calling on a client. It's always, how can I make it better for them? So, you know, what are the benefits in it for the other people, as opposed to what the benefits are for me? And always know that, you know, it's kind of a cliche you know, cliche-ish, you know, statement to say, you know, what you, you know, you get back what you give, but it's so true. And, and I think learning how to have that, really warm, lovely, wonderful feeling inside when you know you've helped somebody else and move them to another level, either in business or with themselves personally. And and I think that's really important. I think when you take a look at people who love dogs, right? Who love their animals, and um, and I love my I love my dog, and um, and you do everything for them. You feed them, you take them for walks, you you know, you get them groomed. I mean, nobody ever thinks about oh my god, I'm spending so much money on my dog, you know? Right. That you just do it right. And think about how you feel and the warm loving feeling you feel when you see either your child or your your pet sleeping at night and how much you love them and and try to imagine that feeling with the people that you work with every day and could you live without them and you know and how much better they are with you and how much better you are with them and and i promise that what will happen is that you will have this like amazing relationship with more people out there and, and what will happen is that people, you will, you will have a more, more of a likability um, about you and not that you can cause yourself to be charismatic or light, um, but if you're a good person as opposed to a nasty person, but you're super good at what you do in life, um, you will get the respect that you always yearn to have. Because I think everybody yearns and craves um, respect And respect Mm -hmm. who they are as a human being, no matter who they are. And um, and and I think you. I also think you've got to learn to listen to people too, and listen to what their needs are, and um, and see whether you can, you know, you you can add something to somebody's life. And those are probably my best, um, the best things that I can give advice to for anybody, um, from an inspirational or aspirational perspective.
0: I feel like those are the tips people should take away when they're applying for the podcast. Because <laughs> I always get these applications that are like, me, me, me. I, I want to talk about this instead of like, what can I contribute to your audience? You, exactly. know, you know, that sort of thing where you, you got to think outside yourself sometimes. Oh yeah, um, exactly.
1: I- always tell everybody, we sell consumer products, right? In health, wellness, and beauty. And I always say, What's the benefit if somebody uses this product? How's it going to benefit them? That's what we're going to advertise.
0: Yep, exactly. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: Well, thank you, Megan. I'm glad your daughter's doing well too.
0: Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.